Well, it's nice when people say nice things about you. Even if it's not always true. So, thank you. Oh, I am delighted this morning not only to have the opportunity to, uh, to share God's word with you, but I'm also delighted. I have a number of friends who have come to, I guess, support the old guy. And uh, I want to thank them for their friendship, for their faithfulness to me and to the Lord over the years. So I am one very, very blessed man. And um, I look forward to uh, sharing with you something that uh, formed my way of thinking throughout my many years. I know that what I want to share with you is true because it comes from God's word. I am speaking not just to old people. I'm speaking as well to the young, maybe especially to the young. Because what we are going to learn about today affects the way we live our life. And to begin early to live the way that Paul lived and urges us will transform your life. I'm going to be speaking to people who have real problems. People who are going through difficult situations. Um, And so I would like to share with you this morning about a discovery I made a number of years ago and now I'm still uh, uh, enjoying the treasure. I found hidden treasure and that hidden treasure is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 through 12. But before we get there, I want to pray with you. Um, I don't always know, as a matter of fact, rarely know when you come to church what you're facing, what the Lord does. And he is here, he's present in his word, he's present in his spirit being here in us, with us, and he's here to bring comfort, he's here to bring insight, he's here to bring healing in those who have been broken. So, let's come together in prayer. Our Father, we come to you this morning in the name of of your beloved Son. We love Christ. We love Jesus because you first loved us. And you've given us reason to love you. You have given us a love that you shed abroad in our heart by means of your Spirit. So we are here this morning by divine providence that we have been appointed for this time to be together. I pray that we will fulfill what you have ordained for this time. Lord, may your spirit speak to all. May your word effectually accomplish whatever you desire. We're here to love you, to learn about you, and to learn and discover the great power that you've given to your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. And for your glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. Well, archaeologists have discovered some of the world's greatest treasures hidden in many of the unlikeliest places. Riches have been uncovered in vaults and chests, tombs, shipwrecks, temples, palaces, 
and even under mattress beds. But one of the greatest treasures was found in common cracked clay jars. You may have heard about this. This treasure was buried in caves along the desert hills of Qumran near the Dead Sea. And inside these jars were found priceless ancient old manuscripts. They're referred to as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And these scrolls have confirmed the authenticity and the canonicity, in other words, the coming together of the scriptures, of the books that we now have in our Bible. It is considered the most significant archaeological discovery of the 20th century. This treasure, as I mentioned, was hidden in common crap clay jars. Priceless treasures, therefore, should not be judged by their cover, by their container. Gold vases, silver vessels may have the look of a treasure, but their worth can only be measured by what they contain. Now, Jesus taught incredible things about the kingdom of God. How different the kingdom of God is from the kingdom of men. Jesus taught that the way up is what? Down. The way to gain is what? Give. The way to be filled is what? To be emptied. The way to live is to die. The way to shine is to be broken. The way to power is to admit weakness. Think how strange those thoughts are today. As you can tell, the kingdom of God turns upside down the values, the teachings of the kingdom of this world. This morning, I want to speak to those at one time or another have felt utterly defeated, discouraged, and depressed. Now, if you've never been in that place, likely you've not lost a spouse, a child, parents, jobs, or been in a divorce. You've not sat in a hospital waiting room and have a doctor walk in and said, I hate to tell you this, but it's cancer. The reality is that this aging process that we all are experiencing begins in us at the moment we were born. That's a shock to the youth. It was a shock to me. Um, when as I was in high school, I, I thought myself to be rather, you know, a stud. 
I mean, I just have to tell you how I thought. And um, I would walk by a store with a, a, a glass you know, window. I'd walk by it, and I'd look in there, and I'd see that guy in the mirror. I'd go, yeah. <laughs> um, I was trim then. I was bronze. And I had an athletic, athletic body. And I could see it in the glass, and it just looked so good. I'd look in there and go, oh, no. And I thought, yeah, Don, you are cool. I used to be able to jump six feet four inches, high jump. I used to be able to stuff a basketball with two hands and jog miles without even getting tired. That was then, not now. But I thought I was too cool to move. But things have changed, as you can see. Today, I slowly walk by a store and look at the reflection of myself in the, the glass. And I look and go. Then I look at that once bronze body and I see these sunspots. Um, and I look at that aging body. I'm, I'm trying to see it myself in the, in the glass. And when I see myself in the glass, I go, who is that old guy? I don't recognize him. Sometimes I feel like the guy, you know, so many years ago. But the mirror doesn't lie, even though I wish it did. So what I have to say today, and what I believe uh, Paul is talking about, is offering all of us, all of us crackpots, hope. Hope through life as you grow from youth to becoming older. And here's what we'll discover, that it is in our brokenness and our weakness that we discover God's amazing grace. That's a theme that comes throughout the scriptures, but particularly in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Matter of fact, he writes to us in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians these words, describing his life, his ministry. He says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's his experience. But, he said, why? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. You see, Paul had seen himself in a, a glass in Jerusalem when he was young, a mirror. And he looks at himself today inside a prison and goes, boy, things have changed. God has brought about the change to help him learn how not to live in dependence on himself, but to rely on God. 
This discovery transformed the way Paul responded to his adversity. He realized, boy, if you haven't come to this, you will. Did you have little control over what enters your life? But you do have control over your attitude in adversity, your perspective. You see, he learned to rely on God's grace and not himself. What a discovery. This is not, as I said, for just old people who know they're getting weak, who knows that their days are getting shorter. This is actually for the young to learn early to live this way. Now, Jesus made this incredible promise to the apostle in his days of weakness. I'm sure you have read it before. It stands out as one of my most favorite scriptures. You'll see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. I have it here for you. This is the promise that Jesus made when Paul was in days of weakness. He said this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect or mature or complete in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Boasting about my weakness? I try to hide it. He says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, really, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? How would you ever be content to live like that? And Paul says, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. How can you be strong when you're weak? You're strong when you're weak because you realize that your power must come from God alone. To crack pots like us, this is a promise that can transform the way we live, the way we respond to the difficult situations that enter our lives. Paul wrote his second uh, letter to the Corinthians to encourage them. To encourage them because they were going through difficult times for their faith in Christ. At times they felt insignificant, weak, and powerless. In a culture that was prosperous, godless, decadent, and power-driven. They were trying to make sense of all the problems and pressures they were facing. How were they to cope? How were they to persevere with a cultural of chaos and pressure surrounding them? How do you do that? They were asking, was there any realistic hope that we could be delivered? Delivered in days like these? So Paul wrote to answer these questions for them as well as for us. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 through 12. You have your Bible, please open it. Otherwise, I will have it here and we'll read it together. Paul writes, But we have this treasure 
in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the testimony of the apostle. This is his word of encouragement to the church. <clears throat> there are three major truths that we discover in this text. Here they are. If you're a note taker, you do have three points. God's power is treasured in crackpots. God's power is revealed in human weakness. And God's power is provided to live for Christ's glory. Those are three profound truths that can change the way we live and look at life. Let's look at that first truth. God's power is treasured in crackpots. Well, where is this treasure hidden? He tells us very clearly it's hidden in common earthen jars of clay. What's he referring to? Us, our bodies. The Bible teaches that God is the creator of all things. He formed man from the dust of the ground like a potter who shaped and formed clay jars for his pleasure and purpose. And one of his purpose was, that's why they're referred to as jars, so they could contain a treasure. Then he breathed life into the nostrils of man, and it says that he became a living being. Humanity, therefore, was uniquely and specially created to be containers, jars. And the point Paul is making here is that even though we are frail, temporal vessels, we were, con we were created to contain a treasure. Well, then that begs the question, well, then what is the treasure? And you already know what it is if you're looking at the screen or you read the text. It's Christ. We were created to be containers of the life of Christ. He even tells us that in verse 6, just before our text. He says, the same Lord who declared, let light shine out of darkness at creation, is also the same God who has shown his light in our hearts to give us the knowledge of God's glory as we see the face of Christ. In other words, it was the Lord who sovereignly gave us the light of the knowledge of Christ. The treasure hidden in these frail clay pots is the life 
the power, the grace of Christ. And when we talk about the life of Christ that dwells in us, we are, is another way of referring to the ministry of the Holy Spirit that was in Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. He's the Spirit that empowered Christ to do His work. He's the Spirit that comforted Him when He was discomforted. It's that, this is what is so hard for me to comprehend. Maybe it's easier for you. Think of this. Think how great the ministry of Jesus was. He did it not under his own authority. He submitted himself to his Father, and what he did and lived was a result of the Holy Spirit. And it's that same Holy Spirit that dwelt in Christ and empowered him is in us. That's, that's almost time for an amen. Think of that. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking pretty uh, astonishing truths here. Every regenerated believer is a container and a place for the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to dwell, to empower, to comfort us. We were created to let the power and the life of Christ radiate through us. Maybe it would be helpful if I gave a quick illustration of what that's like. Once I was dirt biking with a friend of mine in the hills of Camarillo. And I was following close behind him on well-worn trails. And all of a sudden, he disappeared. He disappeared over a mound. I had, you know, okay, he did. I didn't know. I was coming fast behind him. But what I couldn't see is that he, when he got over, he hit a rut in the road or in the path. And the tire got stuck in the rut and it flipped the bike on top of him. He was caught between the front tire spokes and the motorcycle was on him. Um, he was pinned. So when I got to the top of the hill, I saw my friend below. And uh, I laid my bike down against the hill, the dirt. And my friend was just calling out, help me, God, help me. So with one hand, I held on to a bush so I wouldn't fall or slide down the hill. And with the other hand, I picked up the front of the motorcycle and I put it like this and I took it off of him. And he said, get help. So I got on my motorcycle, went down the hill. I drove for a number of miles till I got to a uh, gas station and I called 911. And soon a helicopter arrived and they lifted my friend off the hill. So I went with one of the men from the rescue team and we went back to where the bike was. And we climbed the hill and uh, I tried to move the motorcycle. I couldn't move it. I couldn't move it by myself. And the man who was with me was puzzled. He said, how did you ever lift the bike by yourself with one arm? And my answer was, I don't know. <laughs> All I knew was that in that moment, 
without even already thinking about it. There must have been some kind of a, hmm, how would I say, sudden adrenaline rush that gave me power beyond my normal strength. Now, as great as that was in that time of crisis, Paul's talking about far more than just an adrenaline rush in a time of crisis. The power that he experienced came by the life of Christ in him. He received power, we are told, when he faced death, when he was in prison, when he was beaten with rods, when he was repeatedly whipped 40 times on his back and body with a whip, scourge. He received power when he was shipwrecked and adrift in the sea. He received power when he was in danger by thieves and by false teachers. He received power when he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was shivering cold and stifling hot. And the only reason for his perseverance, he says, was what? It is the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's important for us to ask ourselves here real quickly. um, So why was Paul put in this predicament? Uh, Let us ask ourselves. Why have you been put in circumstances beyond your control? Well, Paul quickly answers it in our text. That question. He says, the reason I was put in this situation was to show that the surpassing power that's in us belongs to God and not to us. You see, it is when you realize and you admit your weakness that you become strong. And the strength is the power of Christ. You see, God ordained that his power would be revealed or manifested in our weakness so that we would not depend upon ourselves, but on God. God wants us to depend on him. That was necessary because we inherited from Adam the curse that goes with the knowledge of good and evil. See, the knowledge of good and evil convinces us that we can be like God and choose for ourselves what's good and what's not good, what's evil. And to break us from this, God uses our times of weakness to teach us how to trust Him and not ourselves. In other words, God has deposited the person and the power of the Holy Spirit in us so he could manifest his greatness. I'm not sure we would see it if we depended only on our strength. The light of God's glory shines brightest in our darkest hour. Your darkest hour becomes the opportunity for the light and the glory of Christ to shine. Let me give you a quick illustration of this by using the events of uh, uh, Judges chapter 7. I'll just tell you the story. A Midianite army with with, uh, overwhelming numbers of soldiers camped in the Jezreel Valley preparing to invade and attack Israel. 
And their number is described as like a cloud of locusts swarming over a field, ready to devour everything in its path. And seeing this, Gideon, the leader, deliverer, and all Israel said they cried unto the Lord for deliverance. And guess who showed up? The angel of the Lord, which I believe is the pre-incarnate Christ. He appeared to Gideon and he made this promise. Short and simple. The Lord is with you. Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. He says, do I indeed send you? It's another way of saying, isn't it me who's sending you? And with this promise of God's presence, Gideon ordered his poorly equipped, outnumbered army of 32,000 to get ready to march. But the angel of the Lord goes, wait a minute, Gideon, just a second, stop here. The people who are with you are too many. You have 32,000. And Gideon's going, yeah, 32,000 against hundreds of thousands. How could we be too many? And the Lord says, well, if I left you at that number and I deliver you, you're going to think, you did it. So... The Lord said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to weaken your army. Cut down the size. Well, how do I do that? And he says, well, here's how you do it. Dismiss every man who's afraid of battle. And dismiss any of them and let them go home. It's not their battle. Well, when Gideon made that announcement, how many of you were afraid? How many would you rather be back home? 22,000 men said, I, 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 I. And you know what the Lord did? Said, send them home. And they picked up their swords and they gladly ran back. Now we have 10,000 soldiers ready to fight. This was getting ridiculous, almost suicidal. But the, the angel of the Lord is not over. It was... He needed another cut. The Lord said, there's still too many of you. So the Lord said, here's what you do. You take these men that you have left and take them to the river, or the stream, and let them start drinking. And uh, any of those who put their head in the water and go, send them home. Keep only the ones who get on their knees and take the water like they're looking for the enemy. You keep them. Well, nice deal. How many were left? 300. Learn to eat this way, I think. Drink this way. Now the Lord said, I'm ready. I'm ready to show my power. I'm ready to do my work. Get in. And I think Gideon's going... What is it I don't understand about this? But here's what the Lord told him to do. I want you to equip your men for battle. And here's what they're going to be given. They need a trumpet. A trumpet? I need 300 trumpets. Okay. 300 trumpets, a lighted torch, and 300 clay pots. Now, how many people have you known go into battle like that? 
Well, it's a little bit like uh, Joshua and his people as they faced Jericho. But Gideon commanded his men, when you get, uh, you hear my voice, shout, then I want you to shout with all that you have, the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. So it was late at night, and uh, they snuck around the Midian camp, and uh, at the right moment, Joshua shouted out, the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. And at that moment, every soldier cracked the pot and the pot showed up the light of these torches. And what happened? Well, the Midianites were awakened in mass hysteria. Then they grabbed their swords and what did they start doing? They were destroying each other. Israel didn't even have, you need a sword. And in utter defeat, the Midianites scattered and they fled. Do you see the relationship with what Paul was saying and this story here, Judges? There's no greater example of the teaching of Paul than the day that the Lord defeated the Midianites with a small group of men using a trumpet, and having light in a vase. We see the surpassing power of God revealed through broken vessels of clay. It is in facing overwhelming odds that we learn to fight our battles with Christ's all-sufficient grace. Whatever you are facing today in your weakest moment, moment of despair, of discouragement, Christ is there. He has the power to enable you to overcome these circumstances. His grace can strengthen you when you run out of help, you run out of answers, and you have no more resources. I'd like to summarize these thoughts quickly for you. If you're like me, i got to say, okay, so Pastor John, give me the bottom line here. What do i got to remember when I go through it? Verse, please tell me. Well, here's some of the things I've used I'll give them to you. If you can't keep up and you want to keep notes, I'll have them after the sermon and put them up on the screen if any of you are so inclined. Here's the first thing I want you to remember when you get into adversity. I learned these things in my darkest hour. God is infinitely good. Therefore, whatever he chooses to do or not do in our lives, he does for his glory and our good. Second, God is sovereign over all things. Therefore, nothing enters our lives that he has not first foreseen and ordained to accomplish his holy purposes. Yea or nay? Three, God is committed to our growth. Therefore, he will not leave us as he found us, but works throughout our lives to conform us unto the likeness of his son. That's why this is a process. For God disciplines those he loves to teach them how to rely on him and not their selves. God's grace 
Number five is more than sufficient to sustain us through our most difficult trial. Six, God must break us to make us. God must break us to make us whole. Seven, God breaks us to make us shine brightest in our darkest hour. God's power is revealed in human weakness. We've talked about that. God uses adversity in our life in many ways. And one is just so that we can learn to comfort others as he comforted us. He teaches us to trust him. It's in adversity that many times we realize what we've had, what was worthwhile. And it builds in us character, which is invaluable. And what does God's power look like? Well, Paul gives us a quick list. He says he was pressured, he was crushed under the weight of all this, but he was not crushed or defeated. He was perplexed, he was stumped, had no clue what to do, but he wasn't in despair. He was persecuted, people relentlessly coming after him. But he says, we were never forsaken, God never forgot us. He said, we were repeatedly knocked down by our circumstances that were beyond our control, but we were never knocked out. See, this is Paul's testimony. This is Paul's testimony to us who have felt knocked down, but also knocked out. And finally, God's power is provided so we can live for Christ's glory. He says, so we can live the life of Christ that's lived through us. So we can live and die for Jesus' sake. And even though death is at work in us, it can bring life to others. Hmm. So I want to ask these questions as we nearing our end here. I'm going to ask some questions and you consider them. It's so easy to say, yeah, sign me up for Gideon's army. Yeah, sign me up to be an apostle or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Count me in. But how many of us are willing to not only live for Christ, but even die for him? Some of the places I go, the Christians live with this reality every day. So let me ask some questions. You answer them for yourself. When I'm overwhelmed with pressures, perplexities, and persecutions, and put-downs, do I rely on the power of God or myself? When I'm going through a difficult season of life, am I willing to suffer for Christ's sake? Or do I want revenge? Do I want to conquer? And when I'm rejected, opposed, and discouraged because of my love and commitment to Christ, am I willing to persevere 
in self-sacrificing service? Am I willing to persevere in the marriage? Am I willing to be faithful on the job? You get what I'm talking about? That's the tough stuff. So, these are the questions. And now, in closing, these are the things to remember. God is infinitely good. God is sovereign. God is committed to our growth. God disciplines because he loves us. God's grace is more than sufficient to meet any and every trial in your life. And God breaks us to make us. To make us whole. And God breaks us to make us shine in the darkest hour. If this is one of your darkest hours, my friends, Christ desires to shine through this difficult time in your life. But it comes into relying on His power, not your own. It requires us to pray, to read God's Word, and then cling on to the promises of God and ask Christ to live His life through us. And you know what? He will. Let's play. Thank you, Father, for our time together in your word. The things that we are discussing are extremely difficult for us to not just understand, but to practice. But we thank you that you are deeply committed to us in every and all situations. For those who are hurting today, for those who are perplexed, who are troubled, May your spirit bring them hope, bring them guidance. May the light of Christ shine through them even today. Give hope to your people. Give them strength to overcome the things that they are facing. We believe you do that by your grace. May your grace be poured on us today. We pray this in Jesus' name and on God's people said, Amen. Amen.